I have one brief announcement before we jump into the message today. Uh, men, if, well, I know that many of you are new into this community and may not weekly receive Pastor Jade's uh, email. And I want to make sure that we are all aware that on the 24th of this month, so two weeks from yesterday, we'll be having our second quarter men's breakfast. Uh, and also, if you are new and you're like, how do I learn about all the things? Because we just share a few things every week from the stage. How do I learn all about what's going on? There are two primary ways. One, out there, th those double doors, um, between the bathrooms, there's a QR code. And if you click on that QR code, it will take you to a page on our website with all kinds of information on it. Or also, you can go to our website, and there's a place in the middle of the page that says, I would like to receive Pastor Jade's weekly email. And if that is true for you, you put your email address in and voila, it is done. And you'll receive an email weekly from Pastor Jade with all the things that are happening in our community. Okay. Well, now that that's out of the way, how many of you had an eventful week? Anybody have an eventful week? I had an eventful week. <clears throat> Let me tell you just a little bit about it. I am sitting today. I hate sitting when I teach. But I'm sitting today because I had my first gout flare-up this week. Um, yeah, do not recommend. Not enjoyable. And I was talking to Drew uh, in the sound booth right before service, and he said, you know, we're supposed to follow in our father's footsteps, but these are not the footsteps of your father you wanted to follow. <clears throat> I called my dad this week. As long as I can remember, my dad has had gout, so I called him just to ask him a bunch of questions. And he said he remembered his first flare-up being at 35 years old. And wouldn't you know it, I turned 36 this week. <laughs> had to get it in there just at the end, but I, I don't need any pity. I'm doing way better today. I'm just going to sit down so that if I hobble, it doesn't distract you from what I think is really important. Uh, today is a special day as well. It's the first day of us moving into our summer series. And this is one of the seasons in the New Life calendar where we get to determine as a congregation, what do we sense the Lord leading us into as far as preaching and teaching for the summer months and then right around Labor Day, maybe the week before, we will rejoin the, the other seven New Life congregations in a sermon series. And Pastor Jade and I met a week or so ago and we're discussing, and it seemed like there were two things that have all these different tentacles, but when boiled down, there were two things that kept popping up. Number one, this idea of the blending and forming of a new community. You don't have to be around here long to know this is a rapidly changing family here at New Life Midtown. Not but just a couple of months ago, we moved into this building and joined with ABC Church and many of you were part of that or have come since then. And we are still very much wet cement as it goes in the family. And the community and the DNA are still being formed. And many of us are still figuring out what does it mean to be a part of this community. So that's one thread that we sense the Lord saying, we need to lean into this. Another thread is this thread of revelation of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to be spirit-filled? What does it mean that the spirit rests on us and fills us and anoints us and empowers us and calls us and comfort all of the things that the spirit does in us and leads us to do? Well, as we were talking about these two threads, it kind of just came together. Well, where do these two threads seem to meet most often in scripture? Well, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is 
not limited to, but is so much the tying together and the melding together of these two threads. The Holy Spirit comes and forms a new community. So today, we're going to jump in right at the end of the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 from two weeks ago, Pentecost service, Pastor Jade preached. I'm going to pick up where he left off. And you might think of this service today, this is going to be a little bit odd, but I really think that there's something powerful in this for us. You might think of this as observations from the day of Pentecost. That's not a fun title, but as I was thinking about what is this message actually, it's kind of just that. When I think of the book of Acts, jumping right in here, y'all, we're going to read the scripture in just a moment, but when I think of the book of Acts, it's easy to let my eyes only focus on all of the wild and crazy things that happened. There's so much supernatural activity, particularly in the first half of the book of Acts, and then coupled with that, there is all kinds of adventure. I mean, the apostles are going all over the place. Paul is shipwrecked multiple times. I mean, people are being led to conversations with other people that they previously never would have had. The book of Acts is riveting. But as one scholar said, it's easy to miss the real point of the book of Acts if we only focus on the things that seem to be highlighted. And he says this, the coming of the Spirit in the book of Acts means inevitably that somebody is being asked to do what they don't want to do, which is usually to be with the people they'd prefer not to be with. (laughs) Well, that kind of is riveting and exciting in its own way. I'm going to read it again. Think about this. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, this so appropriately describes what ends up happening. The coming of the Spirit in the book of Acts means that inevitably someone is being asked to do what they don't want to do, which usually is to be with the people they'd rather not be with. How many of you do not raise your hands? That is true of you right now in this community. (laughs) So today we're going to talk a little bit about that and how to read between the lines in Acts chapter 2. And of course, the things happen that we read about happening, the outpouring of the Spirit and Peter preaching and the community being built and 3,000 people coming to the family of God. Absolutely those things happen. But there are other things that happen in between the lines that if we're not careful, we'll miss. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me, Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 14 to 21 together. And I want us... <clears throat> to pay attention to the words of Peter and not just hear a generic sermon, but hear what Peter actually says. So they've just said, or what has just been said, I'll read verse 13. Some, however, were making fun of them in the upper room and said they have had too much wine, presuming that they're drunk. Then Peter stands up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we want to hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to us in these verses today. I pray that you would filter my mouth, strengthen my mouth, but filter my mouth and filter the ears of the hearers to hear the whispers of the Spirit, the conviction, the comfort, the nudges of your Spirit. And I pray that at the end of today, we would have a sense of the kind of community you are calling and drawing us to be. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word and lead us to Jesus, the strong Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings. And together we say, Amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed that Peter actually stole away from his own experience in the upper room? Think about this tongues of fire, speaking in other tongues, this event that had been prophesied hundreds of years before. And Peter pays attention to what is happening just outside the room, and he actually excuses himself from this glorious, holy moment to speak to the onlookers in order to draw them into what God is doing. I had never thought about that until I was reading for this week. What maturity that took. How many of us in the room, if a once in a lifetime, truly once in a lifetime, occurrence where the Holy Spirit is coming down, tongues of fire are resting on people, they're being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit, would have the self-control and the maturity or even just the desire to care about the people outside the room enough to stop engaging for yourself to go and to preach to them in order that they might share in the experience of the Holy Spirit as well. I had never paid attention to this before this week, but it struck me that the power of the Holy Spirit is always drawing others into what he's doing in us and drawing us into what he's doing in the lives of others. That the Holy Spirit is never for you and you alone. That every work of the Spirit in your life is unto another work that impacts someone else. And The work of the Spirit in the life of the person sitting right next to you is not just for them. It's to be opened up and shared to draw us into what he's doing in them. The work of the Spirit always leads us to mutuality and interdependence. Interdependence means and implies that what I do affects you and what you do affects me and there's no getting out of it. There is no such thing as independence, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. There are lots of people in this world that can do all kinds of things that affect our lives, and we have no responsibility for them in what they are doing. But their choices and their decisions can impact us. There is no real independence in this life. We are all always mutually interdependent. And the Holy Spirit says yes and amen to that. That's not a curse. The Holy Spirit leads Peter to be more mature, to open his eyes and see these people who actually in the moment are making fun of them. And Peter doesn't come at them with rage. 
He doesn't berate them. He actually is moved by compassion and sympathy. Think about that. The work of the Spirit in your life is to draw other people into what God is doing. He also doesn't stop what's happening in the upper room. Peter doesn't shut it down and say, all right, everybody outside. It just says that Peter and the 11, remember there were 120, which would, would, would imply that other people are still in the room experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter and the apostles excuse themselves and go out to this other group, and Peter begins to preach the gospel. The Spirit does not lead us to isolation. These two groups, by the end of the story, have come together. One group experiencing something they inevitably cannot explain, the other group making fun of them. And not but a few verses later, the Holy Spirit has drawn them together and is making one body and one family. Now, how does Peter do this? Well, he, he gets up and he preaches a sermon. We just read perhaps the introduction to Peter's sermon. There's far more that Peter preaches there, but for the sake of my voice and your attention span, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But what Peter actually does is he meets them where they're at. Remember, these are Jews who are in the city of Jerusalem for a feast. So these are people that Peter knows know the biblical story. They know the law and they know the prophets. So Peter doesn't come at them defending the experience. He comes at them where they're at relating to them with something he knows they will understand. Now, this is not a missiology class. That will be for another week. But this is something we should pay attention to. What does Peter lead off with? He leads off with an ancient prophecy from their scriptures. He meets them with a story, with a scripture that they would remember. And it reads like, in the last days, the prophet Joel says, God will pour out his spirit on all people. He meets them where they're at. Then he moves to this passage where it's kind of obscure that he brings David into this. But in my study, I learned that on Pentecost, or the Feast of the Harvest, which is why all of these Jews were gathered around from the diaspora, coming back to the city of Jerusalem, that part of their oral tradition was that they believed that David was actually born and died during that feast. So he draws on the King David. He says, look, King David, he's buried here. He relates to them once again where they're at before drawing them and leading them to what he knows will be controversial, which is Jesus is the Messiah, the strong son of God. So he leads with Joel and he leads with David and he meets them where they're at and he leads them to Jesus. The spirit cares about where you're coming from and meets you right there. This is true for many of you in the room. As Pastor Jade and I were discussing what are we going to preach and how are we going to come at this, he was telling me because I was on vacation about the two Wednesday night classes. How many of you in the room participated in those Wednesday night classes? Amazing. He was telling me how many testimonies he had heard of people who even grew up in Pentecostal traditions but had never heard the good news of the infilling or the baptism of the Spirit. And for many of you, this is still a really new thing. Thinking about speaking in tongues and prophecy and praying for healing, if you're really honest, for many of you sitting out there, there's a timidity, 
a hesitancy. And I want you to know this morning that's okay. The Spirit isn't nudging you in the behind going, come on, get it together, we got work to do. The Spirit is going, I understand where you're at, but will you just trust me? Will you trust me? The Spirit cares about where you're at in this moment in the same way that Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, met those Jews on the original Pentecost where they were at. This isn't a get your act together kind of thing. This is a the Holy Spirit is nudging, knocking at the door of your heart, and all he wants from you is a simple yes. A simple yes. You can even say, Holy Spirit, I give you my yes, but I give it to you with hesitancy, and I give it to you with conditions. The Holy Spirit will take that, because what the Holy Spirit knows is that once we have encountered the Holy Spirit, and we see his character and his nature, and that he's actually revealing to be the same as Jesus in our lives, that we will say, yes, Lord, more. I want more. I want more. Holy Spirit, have your way in fullness in my life. But if you're not there yet, it's okay. You don't have to feel pressure this morning. The Holy Spirit wants to meet you wherever you are at and take you on a journey in the same way that it happened for those on the day of Pentecost. I also have to mention that though there is understanding that Peter meets them with scriptures and says, this is that, this is that obscure prophecy from the book of Joel long, long ago, that there is still always with the things of God mystery. That there is nothing in God or nothing in the kingdom of God that does not come with a measure of mystery. So for some of you who are waiting to piece it all together, to make sense of every little word and everything that's happening in your experience or everything that's happening in scripture, that day will never come. You can get a PhD, you can spend your life studying the original languages, you can spend your life studying the acts of the church, the acts of the apostles, the early church, and you will never eliminate mystery from the things of God. It doesn't happen. So while there is understanding and while there is this place where the Spirit meets us while we're, where we're at, there is also the requirement of faith. The requirement to step out and trust and say, yes, I will move. Yes, I will open my heart. Yes, I will receive. So I don't know where every one of you are at. Some of you may have been filled with the Spirit and have experiences long before I was even born. But I know that inevitably today there are many of you in the room that are curious and hesitant. And I want to invite you and say that the Holy Spirit is just knocking on the door of your heart saying, will you just give me a chance? Will you let me move in your life in this one area? We don't even have to go here yet, but will you let me move here first and see what happens? But then also, let's look at Peter. Think about what you know of Peter. Peter is the one who time and time again sticks his foot in his mouth, does he not? <clears throat> A matter of fact, the last occurrence that we have from Peter in the Gospels is actually Peter denying Jesus moments before his crucifixion, sticking his foot in his mouth in an entirely different way, speaking things that are just, frankly, lies. 
But what we see here is not the Holy Spirit overriding Peter, but filling Peter, making Peter who he is most fully. We see a bold and courageous man. We don't see someone different here. We see Peter, but we see Peter fully comfortable as who he is, fully Peter, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Many of us have been taught that the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us in a controlling manner. And that is not how the Holy Spirit works. What the Spirit does in every facet of creation is makes things most fully what they are. From the beginning, the Spirit broods over the chaos in order to what? In order to bring about life. Then God creates Adam's body. And then what happens? He breathes, another word for the spirit, into Adam, making him most fully what he is. Which is what? A human being. A corpse with no breath is not a human being. The spirit makes us and makes everything most fully what it is. So the power of the Spirit in your life does not come to override you and make, make you do things that you don't otherwise want to do. The Spirit comes inside you and works the character of Jesus inside you so that then you actually want to do those things. Or even when you don't want to do those things, you know that it is the Spirit of God calling you to something deeper that you should do because it's what Jesus would do if he were living your life. The power of the Holy Spirit comes on Peter, and he doesn't override him and make him some superhuman thing. He fills Peter so that the gifts that were placed in Peter at Peter's conception actually flourish and bring life to the world. And that's the same thing that the Spirit is doing today. The Spirit wants to fill you so that you will be fully who you are. That the gifts that God has poured on you and filled you with will actually bring about life in your community. Life in your family. Life in the city of Colorado Springs or wherever you may be visiting from this morning. The Holy Spirit makes things most fully what they are. Now let's jump ahead in the story to verse 36. We're going to read the end of this sermon. And then we're going to talk about what happens when this community is actually birthed. Verse 26. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, they're convicted, they're compelled. And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, once again, what God is doing in them through the Spirit, it's to bring other people into. Verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. An evangelist's dream and an administrator's nightmare. <laughs> then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs 
performed by the apostles. We'll stop there, though the rest of it is amazing. Think about that. 120, 12 disciples or apostles, and 3,000 people being added to them in a moment. One sermon, perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached, apart from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Think about, in reality, the chaos that would have ensued from nothing but a direct act of God. Many of us have made judgments about things that we've seen because we've seen the chaos that ensues after and we thought that could never be God. When God moves, it's not all neat and orderly. Now look, there are fruit. There is fruit that we can look at and see. Is this actually the word of God? Is this actually a move of God? But we can't make judgments based off chaos or order. Because I promise you, if you keep reading, you will see that there is almost nothing but chaos for a handful of chapters. That there's a miracle, and then there's chaos that ensues. There's a miracle, and then there are problems to be solved. There's a miracle, and then someone comes and opposes. That the work of God is not always neat and tidy. And if we want the work of the Spirit, and we want the activity of the Spirit, which by the way we do, then we have to be ready for the problems that come when multiple times over are added to us. Now, I'm not prophesying saying that thousands and thousands are going to come to the Lord at New Life Midtown, but they may. But they may. Or maybe it's different kinds of the work of God. Maybe it's not so much salvation as much as wounded people being drawn here, people who need a lot of attention, people who need a lot of care, and this will be the place that they find healing. But guess what? People who are wounded, who need lots of care and attention, are not easy to deal with. You know how I know? Because I is one, and so are you. We have to be careful about the judgments that we make, and we have to look at the fruit, not whether we see chaos and disorder or order. So what do they do first? Now we're going to focus on this one verse, Acts 2.42, for the remainder of the message, and we're going to come to the table. What do they do first? After the outpouring of the Spirit, what does not happen is they are not immediately sent out. They do not all immediately begin prophesying and praying over one another for more of the same. They do not all go out as evangelists. What does happen is they're actually driven back to do the same things they've always done in a different way. What are they driven back to do? To sit under the apostles' teaching. Well, these are predominantly Jews. They were used to sitting under rabbis' teaching. So they're going back to do the same thing. They're just doing it a little different way. The translation in many of our Bibles says prayer, but what is actually accurate is, quote-unquote, the prayers, that they committed themselves to the prayers. Well, what are the prayers? Well, the Psalms and the prayers of the Jewish people. So now they're going back to pray the same prayers they've been praying for most of their lives, but they're doing it in a different way. They're doing it with the understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So as we will end most of our prayers and we say, in Jesus' name, amen, 
they are doing that figuratively. They are praying the prayers of the Psalms and praying the ancient Jewish prayers, but they're praying those prayers with the understanding that these go through Jesus, that Jesus is the great intercessor now. So they're going back to study, to sit under the submission of teaching. They've always done that. They're going back to pray and commit their lives to prayer. They've always done that. They're going to commit themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread. I don't know if you have any Messianic Jewish friends or Jewish friends, but there are a lot of feasts that they participate in, y'all. And a lot of times their Sabbath or their Shavat, Shavot, that they participate in once weekly, they actually will do communally with multiple families. The Jewish people were already a very communal people. Fellowshipping with one another was not a different thing. Fellowshipping with one another in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit was a different thing. So once again, they're drawn back to the same things they've always done with a new understanding, a new way of doing them. Why does this matter for us? Many of you have recently come into this revelation and you are chomping at the bit to run out of this place and to do wild and crazy things for God. And I want to say... God may have wild and crazy things in store for you. And if he does, we would say yes and amen. But before that, don't disregard the first things, the ordinary things, the things that you grew up doing in church. The Spirit is in those things too. The Spirit is in coming to a Sunday morning service even if it doesn't feel like the sermon is inspired. Amen? The Spirit is in the giving. The Spirit is in the coming to the table. The Spirit is in praying with one another and committing yourselves to prayer and reading your, your Bibles during the week and coming to Wednesday night classes and participating in table groups. The Spirit is in all of those things. Do not disregard those things for the sake of thinking God is doing a new thing. The new thing that God is doing always comes out of the old and stays tethered to the old. All you have to do is read church history and read the scriptures. This is a continuation of what God has already been doing in this people, which is why Peter appeals to Joel and to David, because this is a continuation of God's doing. This is not a brand new thing out of nowhere. So whatever the new thing is God is doing in your life, I bless it and I say yes and amen. And I also say do not forsake the old things. Look for God in the old things and see to what new things he leads you. Amen? The work of the Spirit also presses us toward Jesus and each other and then the world. There is this tension that if you read the scriptures, particularly the gospels and the work of Jesus with the disciples, and you pay close attention, there is this tension between sitting with Jesus and, and Jesus sitting with the Father and going out and doing the works of ministry. And it's never an either or, though what we will find is that the tension is often jolting for the disciples. Have you ever noticed that? They're up on the Mount Transfiguration and Jesus is glowing and Peter wants to build tabernacles and stay. And Jesus says, it's time to go. Jesus walks into a town and revival breaks out. And the disciples want to stay. And what does Jesus say? It's time to go. There's others who need this. We'll let those who are believers in this town take care of what's happening. Oh, yeah. Following Jesus will not always make sense. 
following the Spirit inside of us will not always make sense. But there is this tension, and it can feel like an oscillating movement between sitting at the feet of Jesus and being thrust back out into the world. And this is part of why we believe in attending church. Because every week, if nothing else, if you have a crazy week, way worse than having a gout flare up, maybe this has truly been the worst week of your life. If nothing else, you know that Sunday morning you're going to come into the house of God and you're going to encounter people who are full of the Spirit and love you and you're going to encounter Jesus at this table. At the very least, you can count on that. That there is always a turning back toward Jesus and then there is always a being thrust back out into the world. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but welcome to the Christian life. The Christian life is always missional and it's always abiding. It is always both of those things. 3,000 Jews from all over are now forming a new community. Next point here, the power the Spirit gives doesn't resolve their differences, but enables them to live together in spite of their differences. Think about this. These are Jews. That's about the only thing they have in common. That would be like saying, you as a Christian are going to be thrust together with 3,000 Christians from literally all over the world. And you're going to be pressed. Language differences, cultural differences, political differences, differences in the way they understood the Torah, all of these things, these are the people who are all brought together and in this one moment come to Jesus. And they committed themselves to life together, at least for a time, because some of these people were not from Jerusalem. Some of these people had to go home. Some of these people had people back at home who were wondering, and they couldn't just send a text message saying, hey, I'm going to be a little while longer than I thought. The discomfort, imagine the discomfort that these people must have been in sitting at the table three meals a day with people who speak other languages, who have differences that are real. If you pay attention, reading back into Acts chapter 1 where this all starts, the disciples, they look at Jesus and they say, when is the power coming to restore the kingdom of Israel back to us? When Jesus gives the power... The kind of power they're hoping for is a power that dominates, a power that usurps, a power over other people. And wouldn't you know, the power that Jesus gives is the same kind of power that's in Jesus, which is not a power that dominates. It's a power that subverts. It's a power that submits. It's a power that learns how to live in the tension with one, in it, with one another without resolving all of the differences. This is the kind of power the Spirit has given to us. If you're thinking it's only a matter of time before all these new people believe what I believe, you're starting off on the wrong foot. It doesn't matter how old you are and how long you've been walking with Jesus. Some part of your theology is wrong. I hate to break it to you. And even what is right doesn't need to be pressed onto other people. The power the Spirit gives them on this day is the same power the Spirit is giving us today. And it's not the power to resolve all of our differences, though some of them may get resolved. It's the power to learn how to live together and truly love one another in spite of our differences. 
Seth and Philip and the communion attendants, you guys can come. I have a couple of more moments, but I think that there is a very clear call and invitation of the Spirit to us today. The last thing we see in this passage, which part of it we didn't even read, about them giving everything and sharing everything in common, is that the Spirit will lead us to do radical things in order to care for people. That's one of the markers that this is truly the Spirit of God and not just my Spirit. That the Spirit that Jesus gives will empower you to do radical things and not just do them, but want to do them. That you will want to do radical things. Think about these people who are here for a feast and now all of a sudden there are 3,000 people to feed three meals a day. What a disruption to their lives. Some of you have had dreams and visions of a last days or at the end of your life, a great revival, whatever that would look like. How would you feel if that revival began happening and instead of being the one called upon to pray for people and to lead people with the infilling of the Spirit, what you were actually asked to do is to cook meals, to deliver meals, to help organize, to clean the building. Inevitably, some of these people were rubbed in ways that were real. Their lives were disrupted. But there is a grace in the power of the Spirit to do these things for the sake of the community God was building. Think of the hospitality and the generosity, the money that was required the money that was required to take care of 3,000 people when there were only initially 120. Some of those people were very wealthy. Some of those people were poor. And so what did they do under the power of the Spirit? They said, heck, we don't know how we're going to do this long term, but for the short term, we're just going to share everything and make it work. I don't know about you, but that rubs me the wrong way. That's difficult. And I'm not saying we have to do that this morning, but that's what the Spirit led them to do. Is there a willingness For when the Spirit really does come and move in this community and in your life to do whatever it takes for the sake of someone else. I want to tell you a story this morning that is deeply personal about this community. And I promise we're coming to the table in just a moment. And I want you to think about coming to the table and the sacrifice of Jesus. Sorry, Mary. I called you up maybe a moment too soon. My foot hurts too. It's no fun. But in 2015, eight years ago, actually today is our oldest son's birthday. And our oldest son, most of you, many of you have no idea who I'm talking about because he only lived 20 days and he passed away on July 1st. And it was right before, about six weeks before we moved to this congregation, Antioch Church. And we had longstanding relationship with Pastors Jade and Christy and Martha and many others in this community. But we came here about as broken as you can come as wounded as you can come. And the the DNA of this community theologically recognized we need to make some shifts. But what was beautiful and right about this community was that right from the beginning, this people understood if the Holy Spirit's work is real, it will lead us to care for one another in our darkest moments. And I can tell you, that that's what happened for us. And eight years later, 
Bonnie can stand up here and sing and I can get up here and preach and I can do it as a new person because this community was the kind of community that was willing to do whatever it took to ensure that we stayed safe in the arms of God. And so I want to ask you today, what kind of community do you want to be a part of in your darkest moment? In the most difficult moments of your life, what kind of community do you want surrounding you, holding you up? The kind of community that is tick for tat, counting every dollar that is spent, every time that you've been cared for and not cared for someone else? Or do you want a community that says, whatever, I'll do it all, I'll give my whole self, I'm not counting things, I'm just showing up for the people of God because that's what they need right now. If that's the kind of people that we want to become, good news, that's the kind of people the Spirit is leading us to be. Let's stand together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would breathe on these elements and that you would, as you do with everything, make this bread and wine or juice what it most fully is. In reality, Jesus says that when we take this, we are receiving his body and his blood and we don't know how that happens. We're not after theories. What we are after is sustenance. We are after, Holy Spirit, you doing the work that only you can do and the primary work that you do is lead us to Jesus. So I pray that as we come to this table this morning, you would lead us to Jesus and help us to see one another, the family of God that you have surrounded us with as we come forward. Friends, this is the table of the Lord. Also, these are gluten-free elements if you need gluten-free. But exit out the left side of your rows receive the elements, go back to your rows, and we will partake together in a moment. Come to the table of the Lord.